This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. I'm in Gloucester, Massachusetts with our past guest and a good friend of mine, Walt Kalinda in the antiques world. How are you, Walt? I'm doing great, Martin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and we have, uh, we've been keeping in touch. And when I was on the West Coast, that's when I first uh, contacted you. And then we met back here. And uh, you moved to this beautiful town. Just talk quickly about the town of Gloucester. It's so beautiful here. Yeah, so I feel very lucky to be in Gloucester, Massachusetts. I'm in Magnolia Village in Gloucester. And it's just amazing here. Uh, there's, uh, I'm having a lot of fun finding um, antique estates to sell and, and antiques merchandise. Gloucester is the oldest seaport in the country. A lot of people don't know that. It was established in 1623. And... Uh, there was a book I was reading, Cape Ann, Cape America, excuse me, I can't remember the author's name, but uh kind of starts off in saying that Boston would not have been able to be the hub it was without Gloucester Seaport to get it started. Wow, is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, so there's a lot of rich, wonderful history here, and uh, you have, let's just say, you have a store, a storefront, so we can talk about it. Where's your storefront? What's that? Where's it located? It's uh, Lexington Ave, right? Lexington? Lexington Ave in Magnolia Village in Gloucester, which is uh, in between Manchester and uh, Gloucester Center. It's right a little bit on the outskirts, kind of on the way, uh, in a very beautiful, small beach tourist town. Yeah, yeah, just wonderful. All right, so one of the topics um, we were going to discuss today is um, antiques are green. And um, that, to me, there's so many good reasons to collect antiques um, for just historic value, the way it's made, um, the longevity of it. Um, You're not going to get that at Ikea. Sorry, Ikea fans. But um, this stuff is going to be around. And you know what? The number one thing you think about all the pollution and uh, energy that's used to create new pieces when you can get a lovely, well-made piece uh, for a lot less than you can a brand new one. So antiques are green. That's right, Martin. You know, um, one of the things that, and I know you and I have discussed this before, uh, we're always looking for, for new people to come into business. I hate to sound like a cranky old man, but younger kids too, and getting you know fresh blood, young people in the business. Um, years ago, in the late 70s, when I started out um, in the auction business, there were always half dozen to maybe a dozen guys my age, uh, it, you know, early 20-somethings, uh, late teenagers, looking for work in the auction business, and you don't see that as much anymore. Uh, kids are collecting mid-century modern. And there are some younger people that do collect and really appreciate antiques. But I think we're missing a huge opportunity um, in bringing some of these kids in the business because it's not the merchandise that they're unattracted to. Um, I feel that, you know, there are a lot of ways to reach out to them. And one of the ways that I think we can do this is, is show them, look, many of them are environmentally concerned. They go to Ikea, a guy at the big Walmart or Target to buy a really junky piece of furniture that will have no resale value. They have to show actually quite a bit, even though it's inexpensively made. It's not an, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not inexpensive to buy. And, uh, you know, it, it costs all these resources to, um, to make something like this. You think of the fuel cost, the environmental impact. One of the things we don't think about often is how much water it takes. It takes oh, yeah. an immense amount of water 
um, to to make anything, never mind a piece of furniture. And petroleum products. Petroleum too. products, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And the main reason that I think antiques are the best green product in the world is because it has zero environmental impact. It's already made. There's mm-hmm. no environmental production impact. It's already there. Why not put it to good use? Yeah. And when these, a lot of these things, you know, depending on when it was made, yes, there were factories that were making. There were mills, there were steam mills, um, you know, ever since the, um, what was it called? Industrial Industrial Revolution? Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've had, you know, steam power, we've had uh, jig work where um, things can be copied, but they're still um, for, you know, right, right on through. Even, you know, into the 20th century, pieces were made very well. I'm not saying that there's not nicely made pieces today. It's just um, that these pieces that were made in the past, there was a lot more care from them. And one thing that people never think of and talk about is tree growth. Um, mm, you know, yeah. there was uh, mature um, trees, and, and now all furniture, I want to say 90% of all furniture is made with young uh, what they call young growth trees, I believe it's called, and um, there's always issues with that. There's uh, there's a lot of issues with that. The wood changes after um, a, a short time after it's produced. There's a lot of import furniture coming out. That um, I so I, I met a wood expert one time, and he said he he snapped off a piece of. Uh, furniture, broken piece of furniture. And I think it was imported. It, it was tropical wood. He said, this is actually considered a weed. They grow this and it's actually considered a weed. And, you know, they, they, the labor that makes it is very inexpensive. So these pieces are being made for next to nothing. Um, and a lot of them, you can see it, they don't even survive the shipping in t- containers. Uh, they, they're repaired on the docks or they put them right back together. The drawers are stapled together and it's just a, uh, he called it, I forget one time he called it poo-poo wood or something like that. And it's just so brutal. It's actually beautiful to look at. It's very, it's attractive looking wood. But then you look at it and um, you can see underneath the, uh, it, it's actually dyed. It's a white wood. Not all the time. Sometimes they have like uh, different strains that do look like mahogany and they're dark all the way through. But this particular brand, it, you could look at it. He said, come over here. I'll show you something. And, and he uh, pulled the drawer edge off. And along the edge, you could see it was white. So it was a dyed wood. And not only was it white, it wasn't white like a pine where it had a yellowish or a tinge. It was very white, white. So it was new growth. And uh, he said that that was actually a weed. So <laughs> I, I don't know my woods the way this gentleman does, but I, uh, I can uh, probably be sure that, that he was spot on about it. And um, they're just, I can't, I can't imagine why somebody would buy those for a triple or a double or at least the money that they can buy a nice old piece for, except for the fact that um, I can't help but thinking, well, maybe they don't know those old pieces are as accessible as they are. And I guess that's, that's exactly part of what right. you're doing here. That's exactly right. And that's, uh, that was exactly what I was going to talk about next. Um, you know, a major part of society and uh, people coming up uh, – building homes, buying homes, uh, furnishing apartments, have no idea that this is, there's this secondary market out there. Um, it just hasn't interested them. They haven't looked in it. And a lot of people that I've talked to 
Um, I would say a good portion of the people I talk to that have been in the antique business or got involved in antiques, it all happened by accident. You know, not, not that, that they, uh, you know, maybe it was an inheritance or, or something like that, but a lot of people kind of stumble in it by accident and uh, something sparks their interest somehow. Um, and uh, have you had similar, have you talked to people with similar situations? I, I, I agree. In fact, my own story was, uh, was similar. I have, um, I ended up, I, there used to be a, a gentleman that uh, had, I was always into music and there was a great used record store out um, in Pawtucket where I was, Luke's Record Exchange. And I ended up bringing a huge batch of records to him one time that I had when I needed some extra cash. And uh, when I had that cash in my pocket, I thought, boy, I, I could probably do that again. So I went out to some yard sales and found some records. And before I knew it, um, I became a picker for records and books, two things that I, I loved an awful lot. And I, I would sell records to him and other shops. Um, on the also on the east side of Providence, I would bring all the books I found. Hmm. So I started picking records and books very regularly. And, and one day I ran out and I just you know got some antiques and started selling some collectibles. I picked up a few things, and uh, this antique dealer kind of took me under her wing. I, I found a few things in Cranston, Rhode Island. I can't remember the woman's name. She was elderly back then, so I'm sure she doesn't have a shop anymore. But um, she kind of showed me a few things, and when I ran out of stock, she said, you ought to try an auction, and then it was all over for there. from there. I found an auction in New Hampshire. I started uh, running for the gentleman the second auction I went to, and I became his floor manager and from the, from there on. But, yeah, I kind of did stumble in, into it. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people do. Now, when he said he was a runner, a runner is someone that works in an auction that basically carries things, hold the, holds things up in front of the audience. And you've had a number of auctions, and uh, we actually worked an auction together. That was a lot of fun. That, right. Yeah. yeah, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed working with that. That was actually a, a pretty pretty fun sale, and um, it was mostly art we had at that auction. Uh, I've run everything from art and estate auctions or estate auctions, on-site auctions. Um, and, you know, if, if any young people happen to stumble onto this podcast – what I'd like to say to them is, you know, it, just get your feet wet. Go to an auction or a flea market or an estate sale. You'll be hooked. If, if you if you're, have any um, sense of uh, adventure and creativity, you'll be into this business either as a uh, hobbyist collector or probably a dealer at some point or other. Yeah. Because it's, it's pretty addictive, wouldn't you say, Martin? Oh, yeah. Hard to get I, out of? I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but the, the one, there's a couple of things that stop people in their tracks quickly. And that is uh, one having um, high expectations that they're going to get a score right away mm -hmm. and they don't. And the yeah. other one is buying a fake by accident. Those are the things that a lot of times will just kill the whole collecting uh, abilities of someone that just like want to stop immediately. Sure. So, you know, if you keep an open mind that you're probably not going to get lucky right off the bat, some people have, but um, just keep that in mind. And just uh, when you're, First buying, make sure that you're – do whatever you can, whatever it is you're going to collect, and make sure that you're not going to buy a fake or a reproduction. There are some nice reproductions, but um, they're just not worth as much as an ori original piece. And there's so many categories to talk about. I don't even – you know, I can't talk about any specific thing. But just be just be careful when you're buying. And, you know, I 
said this many times in this podcast, buy what you like. If Absolutely. You, if you buy what you like and collect what you like and don't buy it for money but just buy because you like it, then you're going to be – if you're going to be stuck with it, you're going to be stuck with something you like. <laughs> and, and the odds are you're spot on there, Martin, because if you buy something you like, it's probably going to be something that you feel more confident with. So if you end up selling it, you're going to be able to do a better job selling it because you're going to be enthusiastic about selling it. Mm-hmm. And if it's something you like, you're probably going to know more about it. Yep. Um, and then going back to a point you made earlier about getting stuck with something or not getting that big score right away. It's like any other occupation or hobby. If you go into it looking, thinking that you're going to find the upside down Jenny Lynn your first time out, well, you'll probably be disappointed. The Jenny Lynn is a, I, I think the, uh, oh, no, I'm thinking of the airplane, the stamp. The oh. upside down Jenny. <laughs> the upside down Jenny, right? The Jenny Lynn is yeah, a drunk yeah. or a bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that funny? As Martin said earlier, there's so many things. And you can never get bored in this that business. That was a, because, a $9 million? Uh, uh, stamp, yeah. Stamp, yeah, yeah something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. Inverted Jenny, right? Yeah, Inverted right, Jenny. Right, yeah. So, um, but what is very likely to happen? Let's say they, let's say that you collect music um, collectibles, right? You go out and you look for records and books. It may be unlikely that you're going to find the Beatles butcher cover for a few thousand dollars. But what will happen is I'll bet you on a good day yard sale and you can go out and spend $50 in records and probably get $100, $150 with a little work either on eBay or from, you know, from a dealer. So if you go out after those good solid average scores, get some nice books, CD collections. You know, they're not antiques, but if you want to get your feet wet in the collectibles area, you can buy large collections of CDs because there are still a lot of people collecting them, but there are a lot of people getting rid of them. Um, mm-hmm. it, as far as the antiques, there's a lot of uh, architectural antiques on the market. Um, there's always, it, it, like you said, it's you can never, ever even know a good portion of what there is to know about this business because there's so much. Um, but if you buy what you like, go out with a few hundred dollars or even a hundred dollars in your pocket, yard sailing, you're going to find some neat things because – even though people may think they know a lot about one type of subject, there's always something else to know. So uh, look for the things that maybe are undervalued in the marketplace. And that's why we're all out there. We're looking for something that we can find for less money and sell it for more. I'll tell you a quick story. It's, it's kind of funny. When my son was, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years old or so, it was a Saturday and the weather was okay. And I said, why don't we go yard sailing today? And he goes, no, I don't want to do that. I says, I'll tell you what. I says, I, I know what I'm doing here. So we'll go yard sailing. I says, I'll, I'll split it. You know, I'll split everything that we make mm-hmm. today. And he goes, well, okay, okay. First yard sale, I stopped by, and there was this great Bennington pottery piece for 75 cents. I brought it. I paid 75 cents and brought it right to a guy and sold it for $350 wow. within, within the hour, right? So... Um, my son decided that he liked yard sales. <laughs> and so for the rest of the day, we went to every yard sale. And for like two or three weeks, we went to yard sales. And that was the only buy that I made. Nothing wow. else was worth anything. Wow. Worth that's, anymore. That's so that happened within the first, you know, at the first yard sale within the first few minutes. So, yeah, it, you know, for if you have the attitude that you're going to get a big score, um, it's probably not going to happen. It's another thing that usually happens by accident. I want to tell you another quick story about 
this uh, this guy in in Maine contacted me when I was having an auction. I didn't know who he was, and he just said, um, "I bought a vase from a lady, and I'd like to, to see if I can put it in your auction tomorrow night." So I said, "Well, my auction's not tomorrow night; it's the night after." And he said, "Okay." So um, there was another person having an auction there the uh, that next night, and he brought the vase over anyway, even though I told him that it wasn't my, you know, I wasn't having an auction. He brought it to another auctioneer having an auction there. She got $17,000 for it. It was a rare Korean vase. Wow. He had, he paid a few dollars for it. He had no idea what it was. So I missed out on that big thing only because he couldn't keep his day straight. But that guy in particular all of a sudden thought he was king of the world. Oh, yeah. And he started buying everything. He was out knocking on doors. It got him him addicted like a, a gambler. And uh, because he had the big score and, you know, he, he was at it for two or three years buying, he didn't buying, I'm going to say it, he was buying junk. Buying he junk, He didn't yeah. educate himself at all. He just thought he was going to make that big score again because he did. So, yep. boy, we're really getting off on different subjects. But that's, that's a, a funny story and it can happen like that. Um, I like to, uh, it, I like to take chances and as an auctioneer, I'll often buy lots. I like to buy estate contents or rooms full of things. So if I'm going to, um, if there's going to be somewhere where I overpay, it usually works out that I've overpaid with my time because I'll always make a profit, but maybe it's going to cost me more work than, than I would have liked to. Um, but I'll trade you a story. I went out, I, I went out to a woman's house one time. This was in the, uh, early 80s remember when the baseball card craze was on and oh, they were yeah. printing baseball cards like crazy <laughs> so this woman said you know my son's got a lot of baseball cards like a lot i just want him out of here i want his stuff out of here he's had a, plenty of opportunity to come get it and uh i said all right so it was in worcester mass and i was in barry so it's about half hour away it wasn't too far i figured i'd go look at it it didn't sound too promising because it sounded like mostly newer cards and uh, at that time, you know, people were picking out the rookies, the, the key cards, the chase cards, and, um, and you know, leaving the locks. And I, I got there, and sure enough, that's what it was. Um, they were, and there were boxes. There were probably like 40,000, 50,000 cards uh, in monster boxes, maybe 10, 20 monster boxes, 3,200 counts, and they were all commons. I mean, there were maybe like $50 worth of cards at the most, a couple hundred dollars a, a, you know, retail, if you could find somebody to take that junk off your hands. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a guitar case. And I said, what's in there? She goes, oh, that's his guitar. She goes, uh, he, he, that's in the lot too. You know, it, that's in the mix. You, you can have that too. And I opened it up and I almost passed out. It was a 1967 Ventures Moserite surf guitar. Oh. It was just absolutely, I mean, it was stunning. And I actually, I literally started like feeling myself shake. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford this. I don't know what it's worth. I really didn't know. I knew it was a nice guitar. I didn't know what it was worth at the time. Um, and I said, look, I said, I came to buy the cards. I can't use them, but I really like this guitar. And she just goes, oh, $75 if you want it. So I bought it. I played the guitar for about, six years took good care of it and it came time to sell it i didn't have a good amp anymore i wasn't i've never been that much of a guitar player i always fooled around with it 
Um, but I was kind of, I wanted something that I could play and enjoy anywhere. So I wanted an acoustic and I wanted a 12 string guitar and I brought it into a shop in Worcester. And I told the guy, I said, look, I know this is a great guitar. I said, I know you got to make money. Don't mess around. I said, here's the deal. I said, I want a nice 12 string acoustic guitar. I want a case. I want strings. I want some accessories and I want to trade you this guitar and I don't want to pay for it. And the guy was like me when I first saw the guitar. He said, pick out what you want. And I walked out with a nice uh, Canadian handmade 12-string guitar that was great um, and suited my purposes. I don't know what he ever got for the Mo's right or don't want to know. You don't want to know. No. Yeah. Probably, I'm sure, a few thousand anyways. You know, yeah. But it was a beautiful guitar. So that's how you that's how you stumble upon things. But you're so right. When you get, and we've all, I mean, I don't know anybody that's been in this business for more than six months that didn't find something that got them hooked. They went out and bought something for a quarter and got $100 for it, or they went out and paid $50 for something and got $1,000. Those deals are definitely out there, but you have to be careful. Once you get bitten by that bug, you can't out go out buying every Korean vase thinking it's going to be worth $1,000 because you, you, they're just not. He was Most buying Roseville are. after that, thinking it was as good. No, I'm serious. He didn't research anything. But another uh, another great saying I heard a dealer say, um, I've heard dealers say many times, is if you're looking to make money, you can't make money if you're not buying. So you got to figure out a way to buy. And whether it's you know kind of a, a semi-dangerous, but not always, mm-hmm. and, and I'm an advocate for antique shops, but a lot of times if you're going to buy out of an antique shop, you may be paying retail, right. but um, not because of the crazy fluctuations in prices. Not everybody knows how to price things either, and we're not. I'm not just saying that everything's gone down. Some things have gone up. Absolutely, and you know, it, there are a lot of great buys in antique shops if you find the right ones. First of all, exactly what you said is right. Um, not everybody knows everything, but you may have somebody that's fantastic with. Uh, period furniture and pewter and anti-colonial charges and but they may not know everything about mid-century modern or other antiques they have in their shops also not because it's my shop but also because it's true here in um you know here in magnolia and at cape ann auction emporium i sell a lot of stuff to dealers i don't mind selling wholesale in fact i love to sell wholesale or below price because it creates a customer that's going to come back and i can afford to do it because i buy mainly estates as opposed to a lot of shops that buy a few items here and a few items there so everybody everybody does it different but i would encourage people get your feet wet go out with a certain amount that you know you can spend it's a little bit of a gamble, but hey, it's not like going to the track because if you go to the track and you lose, you don't have anything. If you go out antique hunting and lose, you still have something pretty cool, and you may not get your money back right away, but you probably will. Yep. Another another little uh, secret I'm going to share, and that is if I go to an estate sale or let's say yard sale, whatever, and the, right off the bat, the first thing I see is a ridiculously high price on something. I'm excited. And you know why? Because they, they don't, don't know, know what, what they're, they're doing. doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. So that's a secret. And uh, uh, that's going to be it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us, Walt. Thank you, Martin. It was really a pleasure.
This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.